of time. Straight through. Enough. And I'm going to shift gears because I'm preaching. And you're probably thinking, what in the world? Can anybody preach at this church? There's a sign-up sheet by the info desk. You can, to sign up. Now, actually, um, as we heard, Pete's in Ireland, and Matt's in Israel, and Brendan didn't want to preach today, so I'm doing it. So give me a second here. Um, you know, we frequently have people come up here um, to give what we call kingdom breakthrough stories. Because um, at Victory Point, we believe that God breaks into people's lives now and then. You hear from God, or He shows you something. And then a cool thing happens. And so you come up in the front here and you share with the congregation this kingdom breakthrough story. Well, a kingdom breakthrough story is like a miniature testimony. Because you're telling, you're testifying what God has just done in your life and you're sharing it with the congregation. We've had a lot of them lately. Um, Testimony is really important. Um, When we go to visit... Tom and Kristen in the Philippines, and we visit some Bible study group or we visit a a house church, he always asks us, will you give your testimony? So Vanny and I, when we go there, have to be prepared to give a little testimony. It might only be three, four, five minutes. And of course, it has to be translated into Tagalog for for the people because most of them don't understand English. But see, the reason testimony is important is because People that are thinking about becoming a Christian or people that are just new Christians want to hear, what is this all about? Is this worth it? Does it work? So testimony says it does. In fact, there's a verse in Revelation, I think it's chapter 11, that said, uh, the, the verse goes like this, and they overcame him, that's the enemy, Satan, they overcame the enemy by the blood of the Lamb, that's the cross, and by the word of their testimony. So in the early church, the two ways you could bring people into the kingdom and defeat Satan was the cross and testimony. 
So I thought this morning, um, that's what I'm going to do. Um, I have something that happened to me over 50 years ago. It was a kingdom breakthrough story that changed my life. And I would like to share that with you. So would you open with prayer with me? Lord, you are a God that desires intimacy with your people. And it's hard for us to imagine that, that the God who made everything, rules everything, has all the power of the cosmos, actually wants a relationship with us. Sometimes, Lord, that's beyond our comprehension. But it is true. You do. So, Lord, I pray that as I share my testimony this morning and how that happened in my life, that you will use it to help other people. And I ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. You can see, that's a series we're doing. Um, It's a three-part series. And when Matt found out what I was going to do, they designed the series around my testimony. So two weeks ago, Pete preached um, on John 15. And then last week, Matt preached. He was ready to leave for Israel. And now I'm finishing it. So let me tell you a little bit about my life. You know, Having been in this um, Generation Spark program, I got to thinking about young people and why they are leaving the church. And um, when I grew up, the involvement of young people in the church, at least from my experience, was amazing, incredible compared to today. So I think it's one of the reasons that there's not a lot going on for a lot of young people in churches and they don't get consulted and so they just drift away. So I would like to share my story with you, Um, but before I do, I want to reference something in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 3. It's the story of Samuel when he's a little boy. Do you remember the story of Samuel? He was the last judge of Israel, one of the greatest prophets, and he was a priest. So he was like a dynamo person. But the story in Samuel in the first chapter starts this way. His mother is at the tabernacle. They didn't have the temple then. She's at the tabernacle, and she's praying so fervently that Eli the priest thinks she's drunk or something. I mean, she's like just really into it. And he goes up to her and says, are you okay? And she tells him, well, I'm a barren woman. I don't have any children. I I want a child so badly. And then she says to Eli, if I ever have a son, I'll bring him here, and I'll dedicate him to the Lord. Okay, well, you know what happened. She does have a son a year later. And then it says that when her son Samuel was um, weaned, I don't know what age they weaned babies in those days, but let's say he was three, she brought him to the temple where he would live for many, many years. Um, He was from the tribe of Levi, so he was legitimately, he could be a priest. And there's a story. This is the kind of story I learned in science school when I was a kid. A story about Samuel. One night he's sleeping. He's about 12 years old. He's sleeping in the temple. And he hears this voice. Samuel, Samuel. So he gets up. He runs over to where Eli is sleeping. He says, are you calling me? No. Go back to bed. That happens three times. Finally, in the third time, Eli says, if it ever happens again, you say, speak, Lord, I'm listening. And then there's an interesting little side commentary. It said, Samuel did not yet know God. 
You get that? Samuel, who will be this great judge, this great prophet, this amazing guy. At 12 years old, he's been living in the temple for probably 10 years. He did not yet know God. That's part of my story. Let me get after it. I grew up in Holland. I'm from Holland. I went to Maple Avenue Christian Reformed Church. Anybody know where that is? Few people. Is Ron Brower here this morning? Uh, he grew up in Maple Avenue. Let me tell you, though, I was, I was, oh, another one. Yes, the Walters family, really big in Maple Avenue. Um, when I was a kid, the involvement of people in Maple Avenue was huge. So this is what it's like. I can't talk about any other church. All I can talk about is Maple Avenue. That's where I grew up. And I was born in the early 40s, so what I'm talking about is like mid-late 40s and on into the 50s. I calculated that on a typical Sunday, Sunday, I spent, as a kid, five hours a day in the church building. Got that? Five hours. Here's the way it went. Church started at 10 o'clock. But for many of the years I was going there, there were more people than seats. So if you didn't get there by about 10 to quarter to, there were no seats. Now, like, why didn't they start a second service? They didn't, that wasn't on the radar, people, those days. So what happened? Well, at about 10 to, they would put up chairs in the foyer. Now, it wasn't anything like our foyer, but, you know, they could probably get about 50, 60 chairs back there. And if you came a little late, I mean, like 10 to 10, you sat on folding chairs behind the glass. It wasn't much fun. So everybody wanted to get there to get a seat. If you got really late, there was a ladies' aid room down the hall where it was piped in music and you sat in the ladies' aid room and you could hear it. Well, I know my mom and dad didn't want to do that. So we always got there by quarter two. But kids, there was no, there was no church school. It didn't exist. When you could walk and you weren't in diapers... You went to church. Three-year-old kids, maybe two. I can remember that. You sat there from quarter to ten till probably twenty after eleven. Oh, tell you that was not easy. How do you do that when you're four or five years old? I used to count the ceiling tiles every week. Um, there were beautiful stained glass windows, so it depends on where you sat. You could look at a different window. And I'd try to figure out what they were saying. Um, I would doodle. My mother would give me a peppermint every five minutes. I mean, anything. Because when you're like four or five, you don't even know what's going on. Now, as you get older, I actually started to listen. But when I was really little, I didn't know what was going on. I can remember the magic words. Amen. I knew it was over. (laughs) This was 20 after 11. I had been sitting there an hour and a half. The day had just started. The next thing you did is go downstairs. There was a big room in the basement. There was a Sunday school room. All the kids were down there. That was a big church. The little ones, like three and four-year-olds, they went to a special area. But everybody else went down there. We used to have Sunday school superintendents. Remember those days? And they would start it. A whole group of kids... Sunday school superintendent would get up there, say some words, open the prayer. We'd sing a couple songs. He would say a little bit about the lesson. 
Well, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And then we went off to our classes. Sunday school teachers in those days had to actually go to a meeting during the week to learn how to teach the lesson. So you made sure you taught it right. And they did a good job. Week after week, year after year, I heard those lessons. Hundreds of them. Hundreds. I don't think there's a Bible story that I never heard when I was in Sunday school. Because it went on from the time you were three to the time you were in 12th grade. And every week, a Bible verse. And you better know it. Because your mother and dad would hear it if if you didn't. Memorization was huge. Imagine about 40 weeks of the year you learned a Bible verse for like 16 years in a row. It's a lot of verses. And if you had perfect attendance and said every verse for a year, you got this pin you hung on your sport coat. Anybody identify with that? That's a long time ago. And if you did it the second year, you got a little thing that clipped on the bottom of it. And then another one, and another one, and pretty soon it hung down like that. For boys, you know, you just wore it on your sport coat every year. You'd have this thing hanging down that far. 11 years in a row, perfect memory. A lot of pride in that. That was Sunday school. We would go to the Sunday school teacher's class. He would teach it. We'd say our verse, and then we went home. It is now like 1230. I've been in church since quarter to 10. I lived close to church. I could walk home. The day was just started. Two o'clock in the afternoon, we had YBCA. I bet you many of you haven't heard that. Maple Avenue did. Young Boys Christian Association. Every Sunday afternoon, there was two groups. An older group for the kids about middle school age, and a younger one for kids that were like middle to upper elementary. It was very popular. Kids came from all over the city of Holland to go to YBCA. Played games. Sang songs. Learn memory verses. It was actually a lot of fun. Two o'clock to maybe a little after three. Every Sunday afternoon. Every single Sunday. And we had to memorize. In the younger group, we memorized books of the Old Testament, books of the New Testament, Ten Commandments, Beatitudes, and the 23rd Psalm. And if you sit them all perfectly, you've got this beautiful embossed Bible with your name on it. Oh, That was a prize. But there was another step higher. If you would do that and you would say all five of them at one time without making one mistake, you got invited over to the leader's house for a chicken dinner. (laughs) Mr. Irons had been a cook in the army and boy, could he make chicken. So he'd invite four or five kids over and we would have chicken dinner at his house. That was Sunday afternoon. The day's not done yet because we have the evening service. Now, they didn't have nursery because nurseries in those days were basically for babies and they didn't have it in the evening. So people that had babies, somebody stayed home. We seldom missed, except when my brother was a little baby. That was another hour. So you just add it up. Like I said, it's like five hours on Sunday in the building. Now, you're probably thinking, I'm saying this negatively. I loved it. I really did. Sunday was over. Is the week over? Oh, no, 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 no. Monday night, we had YBCA activity. 
every Monday, they rented a gym. The younger group was from like 7 to 8, and the older group was from 8 to 9. What did we do? This is the first time all week that we did a church thing. We weren't in the church building. Well, we were boys. Dodgeball, kickball, volleyball, basketball. And we just played all night. Kids loved it. Then during the week when you were in the third grade, starting the third grade all the way through 12th, you had catechism. Every week, catechism. How many of you went to catechism when you were younger? Oh, yeah. We did the compendium of the Heidelberg Catechism. It's a shortened version. You would get there. The pastor would teach it. It was about an hour-long class. He would ask every kid the questions, and you had to memorize the answers to the catechism. And then he would teach the lesson based on those questions. So by the time you were in 12th grade, I mean, man, you knew that catechism. See what I mean? Memorization, memorization. The other thing you had when you got a little older, or you were out of YBCA, where you had young people society. They didn't call it youth group. They called it young people society. And that was Wednesday night. That was about two hours. First, we'd have a lesson. <laughs> Always had to have a lesson. Never could skip a lesson. Always a lesson. And then, and then we'd have a fun activity. Some youth leaders would come in, and we would do something fun. In the church, maybe out with cars, because we were high school-age kids. So in those days, you didn't go to youth group led by a paid youth pastor. You went to young people's society that was done by volunteers. That was a lot of involvement. But I thrived on it. I loved it. But looking back, looking back, I believe that even though my head was full of knowledge, I don't really think I knew God. Or at least I didn't know him very well. I went off to college. I went to Calvin College. The problem I had was I had absolutely no idea what I wanted to do. Now you go like, you go anyway, right? That's what people do today. Not when I went to college. If you didn't have a clear idea what you were going to do, why go? Today they go because better job, more pay, opens doors. Not back then. And I just had no idea. But I went anyway because I was a pretty good student. I was encouraged to go, so I went to Calvin College. But right from the get-go, like, I don't know. Now, I did go into the pre-SEM program only because some people... I did a lot of public speaking when I was a kid. And... Um, I was always told, you should be a pastor. So when I started Calvin, I thought, well, I don't have anything inside of me that tells me that I should be a pastor, but I'll just, maybe it'll grow in me. So I entered the pre-SIM curriculum at Calvin College. For three semesters I was in, you know what I studied? Dutch, Latin, Greek, a little Hebrew, church history, world history, and Bible classes. That's what I had. And when it was all done, three semesters, I went, I can't do this anymore because it's, you know, it's like, it's, it's getting close. Is this really going, what I'm going to do? And I, no. So I dropped out of pre-SIM. The whole time I was at Kelvin, I just felt like I was lost. I even went to Europe next. I was running away. You know, like they talk about having an epiphany moment. I thought maybe I'd have an epiphany moment and I'd be in Europe and I'd go like, I know what I want to do. Didn't happen. So I came back. 
It's now the end of my sophomore years. I started over again. So now I started majoring in stuff I liked, like history, political science, geography, world history. But I still had no idea. What do you do with that? So I finally finished up Calvin, and they were dark years. I mean, if I was to describe my years at Calvin, you know in the Snoopy cartoon, what is that, Linus that has the cloud over his head, it's always raining on him? That's what I felt like. Yeah, I, those were days that, to me, were dark, distressful, worrisome. Um, I just didn't handle it very well. When I was in high school, I joined everything. Like, I was really involved in college. I didn't join anything. I didn't even, sometimes if I was staying in Grand Rapids, I didn't even go to church. I mean, I just felt really down. Like, and I don't really know now, except that something wasn't right inside. Because if I was really right with God, I would have gone, God's got it, it'll work, I'm not going to worry about it. I didn't. So then, I finally graduated after what is five years. You know, three in pre-Sam, one in Europe, and then three more years. Now, I did go on to grad school, because I had a little bit of an idea in my head what I wanted to do. So I went to grad school. But if you could jump ahead like six months later, and there's a whole story here. In fact, my granddaughter Maddie is sitting there. I told her the story, and she wrote it for a paper at Calvin College. But the story is how I ended up as a teacher. <laughs> Very strange story. So if you jump ahead six months... Vanna and I are married. We had met at Calvin. I'm a teacher. I love it. And my future is set. I know. I want to be a teacher. And we're going to Wayland Christian Reformed Church. It's a church smaller than Maple Avenue, but it's a pretty good-sized church. And I'm only there a short time. And uh, somebody comes up to me and said, we don't have a youth group here. The whole thing fell apart. Would you be the youth leader? Now, that meant do the whole thing, teach the lessons, take care of the activities, and so I agreed. So I'm in Wayland Christian Reformed Church probably about six weeks, and I'm the youth guy. Well, I did that for a while, and the pastor came and said, there's another group in our church. It's the people that should go to college or could be, but they're not. They're working. The young adults, would you do something for them? We have nothing. So Van and I started a class where after the, after the church service on Sunday, all the young adults would come up to our, our apartment. We had goodies for them. And then we'd get to know them. And then we would, you know, chat a little bit and we'd have a lesson. So I had been in Wayland Christian Reformed Church and I'm the youth guy and the young adults guy. But inside of me, I wasn't feeling very good. Because I was remembering those years at Kelvin where I was so distressed and dark, and I'm thinking, here, it all worked out. God took care of it. I'm married. I'm happily married. I, 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 I've got a great career. But why was that? Why was that? Now, I don't think I was thinking about the story in 1 Samuel, about Samuel not knowing God, but I was troubled by that. So I decided that I would go back to something I had done a little bit when I was younger. And that is, I remember when I was a kid, once in a while having devotions before I went to bed. 
Only I could do them in two minutes. You know, I would, I would like read 10 or 12 verses real quickly, and then I'd have a one-minute prayer and I was done. Well, I knew that that's not probably what you should do. So I thought to myself, you know what? There's something spiritually that's just not right with me. So what I'm going to do is take that and raise it up to something more meaningful. And I'm going to spend some time with God. Maybe a night before I go to bed, 20 minutes or whatever. And I had been at that for a very short time. I would say maybe it was a month or two when something happened. And really, that's what this whole message is about. The verse that changed my life. And it's James 4, verse 8. And could you put that up on the screen, please? I'm reading in the book of James. It's actually not even the whole verse. It's actually 8b. And I came to that verse, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And I thought, I've never heard that before. All that training, Sunday school, catechism, I I don't remember. Because that says, if I want God in my life, it's on me. It's not God's responsibility. I have to draw near to God if I want more of God. I mean, the ball's in my court. And I thought, I, I don't remember ever being taught that. So I pondered it and I thought, well, maybe I'm misunderstanding the verse. Maybe it's a bad translation. So I started looking, are there any other verses like that? Well, <laughs> didn't take long. There's lots of them. Can you put the next one up? This is, for, this is what Pete talked about the other day, like two weeks ago. It says, abide in me, and then I will abide in you. Jesus says, I'm the branch, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you abide in me, and you will bear much fruit. Essentially, it goes like this if you summarize it. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you abide in me, I will abide in you, and you'll bear fruit. But if you don't abide in me, it goes on to say you'll be cut off. Same thing. Put the next one up there. There's a lot of verses in the Bible that have this seek, seek, seek God. This is, this is from Jeremiah. When you seek me, or it says in some translations, if you seek me, you will find me if you seek me with all your heart. If you seek me with all your heart. I actually decided I would collect verses whenever I came across them, any passage or verse that said the same thing. We're drawing near to God. It's our responsibility. You take a step toward God, he takes ten toward you. Eventually I had pages of them. In fact, here's an interesting thing. It's even in the Old Testament, right here. I did a study of Proverbs one time. You know, there's, what, 31 chapters in Proverbs, and everyone's got like 10 or 15 Proverbs in each chapter. So I decided to make sense of the book of Proverbs. So I compiled them into categories and then figure which ones are the most. And then I come up with 25 of the main Proverbs of the book of Proverbs. And which ones are the most and the second and the third. This is what's the second most common proverb in the whole book of Proverbs. Number two, if you ignore God, he will ignore you. But if you pursue him, 
he will respond to you. That's interesting. Even in the Old Testament, it's all over the place. The Jeremiah one is also Old Testament. So I decided that I needed to do is take this whole thing of connecting to God to a whole other level. And I began to look for books that you could read on the Christian disciplines. Disciplines. That's, you know what a discipline is? A discipline is something you don't want to do, but you need to do it. Like you're, you're gonna, you want to lose 100 pounds, so it's really, really hard. So you go like, man, I've got to be disciplined to lose 100 pounds. Or you want to be a marathon runner, and you go like, I can hardly walk around the block. You've got to be disciplined. They're called Christian disciplines because they're not easy to do. I decided that I would try to do that. Now, I'm like you. I'm a weak person. I'm a sinful person. Did I do this perfectly? Of course not. But I just resolved in my heart, I'm going to do it. I'm going to spend not just a few minutes, but sometimes even hours with God and see once what happens. So I did that. You know, I discovered the word discipline means it's hard. But if you do something that you do that's disciplined, after a while it becomes a habit, right? And then eventually it becomes a lifestyle. So I've been at this for 50 years. What did I do? Well, there's, there's books on this Christian disciplines. There's like dozens of them. But I would say most of them have to do with connecting to God, so that's praying, reading the Bible, meditating, which is like figuring out ways just to sit before God and, you know, listen to Him, speak to Him, and fasting. Those are the four I worked on. There's a lot more. It wasn't easy, but I did it. Month after month, year after year, what happens? What it says in the Bible happens. If you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. I can't tell you what will happen in your life because God works differently in everybody's life. But spiritually, my life just changed dramatically. I mean, I I had a person one time asking me questions, and I said, I don't know how to, I just have a fire in me. And then after I said that, I thought, that's kind of a stupid word, I got a fire in me. Until I found out it's not, it's in the Bible. (laughs) John John the Baptist once said to his followers, there's a man coming after me who will baptize not just with water, but he's going to baptize with fire. That's what it's talking about, the Holy Spirit. I got this fire in me for God. God will come alive. We, we talk about kairos moments in here, you know, kingdom breakthroughs. If you spend a lot of time with God, you'll have a lot of kairos moments because God will be constantly breaking into your world. And I think if you do this, you'll find yourself doing things you never dreamed you would do. He'll call you to things you never could have imagined that you would do. I, was, I started working in the jail ministry many years ago. This is back in the 80s. And out of that, I developed a ministry of mentoring guys who are needy. I still do it today. I never planned to do that. God just called me to do it. 
Let me give you some final little thoughts on this. If you're going to spend time with God, number one, use this book and read it. Studies in America show that Christians have like 15 Bibles in their home and they never read it. It sits on the mantle, on the coffee table, in the drawer. They don't read it. I mean, I'm not saying that's you. I'm just saying studies have been done. American Christians don't read this. This is God's love letter. It's an amazing book. It says in Hebrews 4 that the word of God is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it can penetrate into your life. God will use this, this inspired word, to penetrate in your life and change you. But you've got to read it. We go for a couple months in the winter to Florida. We go to Bradenton, and there's a uh, flea market there called the Barn. And in that barn, there's like all these flea market things, and one of them is a guy that sells used books. And one of the places, he sells old Bibles, used Bibles. He's got another, I've dug down in there, and I've pulled out Bibles that I bet cost 150 bucks. Beautiful annotated Bibles full of all sorts of extra say commentaries, dictionaries, maps. And then in the cover, it'll say, Dear Billy, Grandma and I, Grandma and I hope that you read this book a lot. We're so proud of you graduating from high school. Live in the Bible, Grandma and Grandpa. And Tom Burstman pulls it out of a box in a flea market because Billy never read it. That's a commentary on the American church. People don't read this book. You can't take any shortcuts. This book is alive. Don't read devotionals. I mean, there's a place for that, but you know, that's the shortcut. I'll just read this little devotional. It's got a couple verses and some nice thoughts. Read this book. Secondly, be experimental. Everybody in their house should have a place where you meet God. Your prayer chair, your prayer room, your prayer closet, whatever. But don't always go there. Sit sit in the backyard under the big tree. Go by the pond. Go out in the woods. Like, don't get into a rut. God doesn't like it. How would you like it if you had a friend that every time you got together, he said the same thing. You go like, this is boring. Be experimental with God. Sit before him. Try different places. I like to take my bike and go someplace and then just find some tree or out by a park somewhere or by the side of the river and read and, and read the Bible and pray. I use an expression for prayer. It goes something like this. I like to just sit before God, talk to him a little bit, listen to him, ponder, meditate on the Bible, and just see once what happens. It's an amazing thing. What happens when you sit before God? You know, and our church is really getting into the thing of hearing God, and maybe you're thinking, you know, I've never heard from God. I don't know how you do this. What helped me is years and years ago, I found a little book called God Guides by Mary Gee. Mary Gee was a missionary of the Reformed Church who went to India. This young lady, she goes to India, she learns the language, and she can't make any breakthroughs. The people won't even talk to her. So she sits before God and she says, God, I don't know what to do. 
I can't even make one friend. And she hears, give her an egg. Because she's thinking about the neighbor lady. Give her an egg. She goes like, what? It's stupid. I'm not going to do that. So the next day, God, what, how can I get to know this neighbor lady? Give her an egg. Finally, by the third time, she goes, okay, God, this is stupid, but I'll do it. So she goes outside. She doesn't even dare to go to the house. The, the daughter's out. She says, could, could you give this egg to your mother? Hour later, the, the labor lady's at her door. Thank you for that egg. We've been so short of food lately, and I've been giving the little bit I have to my kids, and I have nothing. And when you gave me that egg, wow, it was so wonderful. That lady became her best friend and and, and sort of like, that was the breakthrough into the whole community. She like, you know, told her about her neighbors and, and invited her in. And I have found that when I ask God for things like that, I say, God, I don't know what to do. I never like the answers. So if it's an answer that seems kind of dumb, it's probably God. But once you do, once you know that will break it, God will break into your life, now you begin to listen. There's an interesting story um, remember when the Israelites left Egypt and they go to the Mount Sinai? That was supposed to be glorious because God is going to now meet his people. So the mountain Sinai is shrouded with this cloud and there's thunder and lightning and they're told, don't touch the mountain. And Moses goes up the mountain and it's supposed to be a glorious time because if they would have waited, oh, Amazing stuff would have happened. And while Moses is up there, God says to Moses, my desire is to make my people a kingdom of priests. In other words, God wanted all of them to be priests. He comes down the mountain and they're worshiping the golden calf. Well, you know what happened. It all turned south. It got really bad. And in the next chapter, in Exodus 20... The people come before Moses, and this is what they say. This is so sad. They say to him, we don't want to talk to God. You talk to him. Tell us what he said. So from that point on, they have to have priests, because that's what a priest does. He reaches up to God. Now they need a priest. They need prophets, because prophets hear from God. We don't want to talk to God. You talk to him. Tell us what he says. Wow. But now we live in the New Testament. If you want to read an interesting passage, read Hebrews chapter 12. Because the author of Hebrews addresses this topic. And he paints this whole picture of what the Israelites are at Mount Sinai. And it's not good. It turns bad. But he says, we're not camped at Mount Sinai. We live today. We're not camped at Mount Sinai. Where are we camped? You know where we're camped? At another mountain. Mount Calvary, Mount Zion. We're not camped at Mount Mount Sinai. And so it's all different today. We live in a different age. One of the main two teachings of the Protestant Reformation, we are all prophets. We are all priests. Step into that role. Talk to God. Read his word. Listen to him. I'm going to call the band up right now and just say a couple of closing things. When you talk to God a lot, 
you get to the point where you dare to say things, there's some dangerous prayers. Here's a dangerous prayer. God, I want more of you. I pray that a lot. Because no matter what God gives me, it's never enough. I want more. That's the one place you can be covetous. I want more, God. That's a dangerous prayer. Because you don't know what he's going to give you. Here's a dangerous one. Use me. God, I want to be used for your kingdom. I want to be used. Would you use me, Lord? It's dangerous because he might just call you to something that you go like, I can't believe I'm doing this. And there's one more that's really dangerous. When Moses was up the mountain second time, he wanted to see God. And he said to God, because you can't really see God. God said, I'm not going to show you my face, but I'll pass by you. But he said, show me your glory. Lord, would you show me your glory? That's what Moses said. Please, God, show me your glory. You can pray that. We live in the New Testament. We're not camped at Mount Sinai. Lord, show me your glory. I know a lot of people who pray that. And amazing things happen. So, I'm just going to conclude by saying, probably many of you are beyond me. There may be people here go like, we know everything you're saying, because we've been there, done that. But if you're a person that your spiritual life is a little dry, or you're going through a difficult time, or anything else, you go like, I need that. This is the answer. God is waiting for you to take a step toward him. And if you do that, he will take five towards you. But if you think, my God fix is Sunday morning when I come to church, this is my God fix? Not. Not. This is just a, a corporate worship service. The purpose of this is not drawing near to God. This is to worship God. You want to draw near to God and, and have him in your life. You've got to be willing to give up some things. Don't watch so much television. Stop going out to eat all the time. Whatever it takes. Spend time with God. It's worth it. It really is. Thank you.